idyllic paradise of Suffolk and Tom's Villa in Bologna. It's F1 Nation. This week was Mercedes' seventh title in a row only possible with Rosberg retiring. What did Daniel Ricciardo call Formula One's press pack? And we check in with Jody Eggington, tech director at the giant killing, Alpha Tauri. Nowhere evokes memories and emotion quite like Imola. And Formula One is racing once again at Imola. And overtaken by Max Verstappen. We have a 10 minute situation on the car, we have to retire. The virtual safety car has been deployed. Vintage Lewis Hamilton and a little bit of help from the virtual safety car. Not bleeding. Oh, he's wide. And here comes Max Verstappen. He's forced his rival into an error. And Max Verstappen takes second. Oh, Verstappen. Something broke on the car. We will surely need a safety car now. George Russell. Oh. Oh. I don't know what to say. He was in position to take his first point. Round the outside goes Sergio Perez. That's a super move. Oh! Round goes the second red ball. Alexander Albon. A 93rd victory for Lewis Hamilton. Bottas second. And Daniel Ricciardo is third. That is it, mate. Seven times. What an incredible achievement. No team has ever done that in Formula One. Seven in a row for that magnificent Mercedes. Too right, AJ. They've only gone and done it again. What an incredible race year, seven years for Mercedes. And also what an incredible weekend for the sport at Imola. I think everybody who was lucky enough to be there loved their time in Emilia-Romagna at what is one of the most historic tracks on the calendar. It was an absolute joy and what an end to that race. Yeah, it was nice and sleepy, and then it was heavy metal Formula One, wasn't it, to finish things off. And I'm glad because it's a great place to go motor racing, but it was it was a little bit tame by F1 2020 standards to start things off, and then it came alive. Um, are you doing the PR spin, TC, or did you really enjoy your week no. in Imola? <laughs> well, couldn't eat out. Everything's shut after 6 p.m. because of lockdown here in Italy, AJ. But I'll tell you why I really enjoyed being back at Imola in that I stayed somewhere different. And I was actually in Bologna. And so I was approaching Imola, the town of Imola, from a different direction to where I used to back in the day uh, when I used to stay in a place called Rio La Terme, which was uh, up in the hills, absolutely beautiful. But as a result, I always approached the track from the countryside and never through the town. So this was the first Uh. time I drove through Imola to get to the racetrack. And everything about this place is geared towards the track. So you follow the sign for the center of town, and everywhere, on every signpost from there, there is Curva Rivazza, Curva Tosa, directions to all the different corners on the track. And then it gets better because then when you arrive at the track, you cross the river and the media car park was in the center of the track. It never used to be there. It always used to be on the outside. And there is a, a village, a community living inside the track here at Amazing. Imola. So there are tennis courts, there are woods to walk your dog. And then Emanuele Pirro, who was one of the stewards this weekend, was telling me that Pierluigi Martini, do you remember him? Used to race for yeah. Minardi, brilliant Italian racing driver. He lives in a house in the middle of the racetrack here at Imola. That's how much he loves Formula One still. So 
So I saw a whole side of Imola that I'd never seen before. Even though I'd been a dozen times before, this was the first time I saw the town. I saw the community inside the track and it made the whole experience even more special. Oh, that is excellent. That is great to get the background of a track that was originally public roads and then forged to become an iconic racetrack with so much history. But it's fascinating. Of course, if you're a racing driver, you want to live inside a racing circuit. You don't want to, you don't want to leave it behind, do you? <laughs> One of my favorite photographs of the year so far was a Ferrari fan out of the skylight with a scarlet flag as Charles Leclerc went up the hill. Uh, just fantastic. The passion there, even though we didn't have the fans, they're very proud of their circuit. And I think Imola in general was very proud to get Formula One back because that's something the circuit has wanted for for pretty much a decade. They've been making noises pretty much since they lost it that they wanted it back. Uh, and I think they did themselves lots of favours by putting on a great Grand Prix. And Alex, on that note, everyone from Formula One and from the FIA, I know, I know they were incredibly impressed by the organisation. Everyone at Imola bent over backwards to make Formula One feel welcome. And I thought watching the broadcast, it just looked fast. It looked almost Monaco-esque. It was visceral. It was great to commentate on. It must have been amazing to experience firsthand. And it must have been amazing if you were an employee of the Mercedes Formula One team because they have done it again. An unprecedented achievement. Seven in a row. Domination of an entire era of Formula One like we've never seen before. What leaps out to you when I say Mercedes seven-time Constructors Champions? It is the gap to the rest of the field because we're looking at some stable regulations now and yet I feel they have been more dominant this year almost than any other. It's quite extraordinary. And when you speak to people in the team and I did wander through the paddock last night, socially distanced, of course, Alexander, I did speak (laughs) to a few people from Mercedes and when you say to them what stood out about this year, they say the intensity of it because the races are coming so thick and fast. And yet the intensity has somehow only increased their advantage. Uh, They seem to have dealt with it better than anyone else. Why? I don't know. But uh, it's been an incredible year, has to be said. So Alex, when you look back on 2020, or in fact, not just 2020, the whole of these seven titles, what stands out? Well, you can always put in best practice, can't you? And there's no doubt that they have raised the bar. They have committed resources to it. They have staffed well. They have replaced well, which is hard to do in Formula One. They've consistently evolved. They've stayed hungry. That is obvious from their results. But you also, in any sport, need a little bit of luck. And I think they got a little bit of luck at a crucial point in 2016. They basically got great timing with Rosberg walking away because things were tough there. Things were getting awkward. It's like any office. When you've got two people at loggerheads day in, day out, eventually staff are going to leave or maybe the people involved are going to leave and could have led to Lewis looking elsewhere for a drive. I think that might have handed the initiative to Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari for 2017 and 18 if, if Rosberg had not retired at the end of the 2016 season. How interesting. So you think it might have imploded almost. It was getting to that territory, wasn't it? Yeah. And Toto Wolf uh, on the Beyond the Grid podcast said a couple of weeks ago, he actually said, AJ, 
a lot of what you're just saying there. He talked about the animosity that they used to feel in the debrief room between Hamilton and Rosberg. So it's probably not a surprise that he replaced Rosberg with a very level-headed Finn <laughs> who yes. doesn't play the mind games, just does his talking on the track and walks away. That's the perfect ingredients for a team that's led by Lewis Hamilton. Whilst it might not be going his way in the Drivers' Championship, Valtteri Bottas can definitely claim to have played a part in their domination going forward as a team. Yeah, and, and he is quick. You know, he started Sunday's Grand Prix on pole position. So Hamilton, Hamilton has to bring his A game, at least on a Saturday. And I think he would have won the Grand Prix had he not had that. Have you seen it? That huge bit of Ferrari debris stuck on the tea tray of his car. It was extraordinary. Huge bit of barge board from Sebastian Vettel's car. Let's get a little bit more detail now about that debris and how it affected Valtteri Bottas's race from the director of trackside engineering and friend of the pod, Andrew Shovlin. How much did you know of the debris and how did it affect the handling of the car? We were having a conversation um, relatively early on in the race that we were seeing a big drop in performance, but... The issue is the scale of the drop in terms of lap time. If you translate it to lap time, it was, you know, seven or eight tenths of a second. We weren't really believing the sensors because we were looking at how Valtteri was, was not pushing particularly hard, able to do reasonable lap times. When we needed to, we could build a bit of a gap. And, and we're not, it's very difficult to put an absolute lap time loss on these because they can often affect the car in a quite... Um, non-linear way around the circuit or different behavior in different directions and corners. But, but early on, we couldn't quite believe how big it was. And we didn't know what it was. And I think because when you look at the size of the bit and the fact that it's red, you can't believe that, that we couldn't see it on the cameras, but we, it was lodged in um, where it was the black area that was, that was visible. And because the whole car's black there, we couldn't, um, we couldn't see that. And if we'd been able to see where it was, we could have possibly you know, done a more effective job of getting it out at the first stop. But it's unlucky for him. And, you know, he definitely made the right decision to go straight over it because taking that onto a tyre would very likely have caused an instant puncture. So that, that was a good call. But through no fault of his own, it, it basically uh, held him back for the whole, the whole afternoon. It's advert time now and support for F1 Nation is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped claim that they are taking over the world and are now available in all of Europe, which indeed is part of the world. They want me to tell you that Europe is about to get a lot less hairy. If you live in the EU, you can now purchase Manscaped products. If you're one of the few people left on the continent that hasn't tried the Lord Mower 3.0, you have been missing out. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. And you know my favorite bit of this advert, their battery will last up to 90 minutes. Why does it last 90 minutes? Not even the people at Manscaped know, but it does, and now you're aware. Also, they've developed something genuinely called the Weed Whacker. That's to trim your nose and ear hair. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code F1Nation at manscaped.com. Final bullet point says Manscaped is my new best friend. <laughs> what is going on with the ad team? 
Get 20% off and free shipping with the code F1Nation at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code F1Nation. And now, back to the podcast. Behind Mercedes on the podium, Daniel Ricciardo. I think that was an even better drive than the Nürburgring. I think the Renault was strong at the Nürburgring. I do not think it was the second fastest car. He needed a little bit of luck with Verstappen, uh, but they were behind Racing Point clearly at that stage. Daniel Ricciardo relishing in getting a rabbit out of the hat. Uh, A few speculating he's made the wrong move. He is a tough customer. I think when he's got belief, there are few as impressive as Daniel Ricciardo. He definitely believes in McLaren. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with that team next year. His restaurant sounds great. Holy mac and cheese balls. Not sure about the drinks list, though. I was about to drink a beautiful, fresh one, and I heard Lewis saying, take your other shoe off. And I was like, no. Because honestly, three years ago, I think it was three years ago, on the podium, he goes, I'll never, ever do that. I'll never drink it. You, you can offer me, you can force me, I'll never do it. And he even asked for it today. So uh, took me by surprise, but uh, 2020 is a year of the strange. The thing about Ricardo and Renault at the minute is they're making the right calls at the right time. Um, Daniel in qualifying was stunning. Uh, he improved by something like half a second a lap from Q1 to Q2 and then to Q3. He just got quicker and quicker throughout that session. And then track position was king in that Grand Prix. So safety car comes out late in the race. Daniel thinks he can do... He's got another, well, I'm sure more than 10 laps in his tyres. So he stays out. And yes, he was fortunate that Perez decided to pit. But you've got to make the right calls at the right time and he he came home a brilliant third aj can i tell you a little story from the uh, post-race press conference oh please do i love this <laughs> okay. behind the scenes with tc so the top three come in and uh, everyone or both mercedes drivers very happy celebrating seven consecutive titles lewis even saying that winning the constructors title means more to him than winning the driver's title anyway <laughs> i ask a few questions uh, doubt doubt <laughs> <laughs> so i ask all, each all three of them a few questions and then uh, open it to any journalist who wants to get involved via zoom and all of the questions are directed at lewis maybe i think there was a couple to valtteri not a single question to Dan Ricardo, right? And it goes on and on and on to the extent I'm getting texts from Renault saying, can we please stop this? Because we've got things to do. <laughs> anyway, eventually it all comes to an end. And I say, thanks a lot, guys. See you in Turkey in two weeks time. Dan Ricardo leaps out of his chair, rushes over to me, hoping that all the journos on the Zoom call are still there, grabs my microphone and says, you're all a bunch of Danny Rick doing it again amazing how many drivers through the years have wanted to do that to Formula One's press corps (laughs) it was a fun moment I have to say I think Renault are going to miss him a lot and I think McLaren are going to benefit a lot as well agreed let's quick fire the rest of the Grand Prix Sergio Perez Things you can say when the team have let you go on the radio include this. Another podium that we give away. He is hugely motivated to return to the big leagues with Red Bull, though, isn't he? Oh, he is. And I think this Grand Prix was 
the best calling card for him in that as good as his race was, Alex Albon's unfortunately just unraveled, didn't it? And I think Sergio Perez really wants it. He's putting pressure on Red Bull to make a decision. He wants to know where his future lies. And I think he would be a brilliant foil for Max Verstappen. I don't think he'd be as quick over one lap, but I do think he'd bring home the bacon on a Sunday as he's consistently doing with Racing Point when they when they keep him on track at the right moments, that is. I think we could see Mercedes put under a lot of pressure next year if they put Perez in the second car and they can find some reliability at Red Bull. Then I think we might have a proper championship challenge from them on our hands. Oh, I'd be brilliant. Also, there's a plan B with Checo, isn't there? If he can do what Gasly wasn't able to, what Albon's not been able to, and harangue that Red Bull round a circuit in a manner similar to Max Verstappen, perfect. But if not, and you have to go down the alternative strategy route, who is one of the best in Formula One at making alternative strategies work? It's a great facet to his driving and he's shown us that again in uh, Sunday's Grand Prix time and time again good shout George Russell uh, I've had the privilege of commentating on him since his GP3 days Um, probably the worst error I've seen in his entire career no escaping it Uh, the one positive thing that I saw and I'm not sure this existed a few years ago Grosjean and Hamilton both publicly backing him Uh, and commiserating with him on social media. There seems to be, in recent years, a real camaraderie and base-level respect between the drivers. Some of them. (laughs) (laughs) I think let's not forget that George is part of the Mercedes family, so he knows Lewis well. Interesting that Grosjean backed him up. I would, I would, I would agree with that. But maybe he feels that in his role at the GPDA, maybe he, he he's out to support uh, his brethren. But it was a it was a very uncharacteristic mistake by George. You know, he's had to do a lot of talking in the last ten days. There was talk of him losing his drive for 2021. So he was pretty punchy there. He was punchy again. I thought. Uh, in the build-up to the uh, Imola Grand Prix. And so I think this I think this crash will have taken the wind out of his sails. But he will bounce back. He's good enough. And the end of the quickfire is Sebastian Vettel. A lot of people have been saying, oh, this is getting painful. He's 14th in the Driver Championship, the same as his first season when he didn't even do the whole season. But in the same situation, so he did a very similar strategy as Sergio Perez yesterday. Given what we know about Sebastian on the radio, do you think he'd have accepted that strategy? Or do you think we'd have heard another fun edition of Strategy Seb if he was in a similar situation on track to Sergio Perez? I think he turns down that stop. I think he finishes P3. 100%. That is what Aston Martin are buying by putting Sebastian Vettel in their car next year. Question marks about his one lap speed. I I love Sebastian's honesty. He came out after the Portuguese Grand Prix and said, I can't do what this kid's doing. Referring to Charles Leclerc. I admire that. Uh, I thought he had a pretty good weekend, actually. Decent race, let down by a pit stop error by the team. uh, Pit stop errors by the team. (laughs) I'm not sure we've seen one like that this year. (laughs) Well, speaking of Sebastian Vettel, Ferrari have found themselves in a battle to be Italy's top team. Because this weekend, Alpha Tauri were on it 
and then some. Brilliant performance with Pierre Gasly in qualifying. In the race, it was all about a fantastic final stint from Danny Fiat. And his overtake at Piratella around the outside of Charles Leclerc, one of the moves of the season. Because if that goes wrong, it is a huge accident. I love that move. And we go side by side with the driver taking fourth place. Absolutely inspired from Danny Fiat. Told you I love that move. (laughs) (laughs) So with the team based just down the road from the circuit, Enzo and Dino Ferrari, we thought it'd be a good time to catch up with top brass at Alpha Tauri with technical director Jody Eggington. Well, Jody, it's lovely to have you on the show. And first up, what are you feeding Pierre at the moment? <laughs> Nothing special. The food's good enough in Italy, I think. But yeah, he's certainly uh, driving really well. He's uh, yeah, he's very settled in the team. You know, regardless of all the discussion outside about what his future might be, he's putting a good performance, working well with the engineers, and he's really motivated and. The guys around him are motivating and, and he's clicking with the car very quickly at every event. So long may it continue. How much have you guys improved the car in recent races and how much is it down to the job that the drivers and Pierre in particular is doing? It's a, it's a combination of a lot of factors, really. But for probably two seasons now, our, our development process has been sort of a rolling development. We're turning up with pretty much something every event, some, some events, bigger updates some events smaller, and we've carried on that process. But also aligned with that, you're also optimising the car for all of the setups. And, uh, you know, we, we under-delivered it, Nürburgring as a team. We felt the car had more in it than we managed to get there. Um, in Portimao, the car worked really well in the race. It's fantastic. And then here, you know, we're constantly learning about the car and working with it, but there's a steady stream of new parts. It's tailing off a little bit now because we're nearing the end of the season, but it is just this constant evolution. There's, we've moved away from the big packages and we're just constantly working away at the car, trying to optimise everything really. And each event we're, we're learning more and getting a bit more out of the car. And here we've managed to get the car really working well at the circuit and these temperatures, both sides of the garage, which is really encouraging. What are the main technical challenges here at Imola then? I mean, it, it, it's fairly hard circuit on the car. So, you know, you, you, you've got to be able to ride curbs. Obviously the track limits has been a topic. Um, you need a reasonable level of efficiency around here. Our downforce package is pretty much suited to it. And um, you need a good level of stability in the car. And we've been working hard to get rear axle stability into the car, and that's allowed the drivers to push here. It gives them confidence. And the car's got a reasonable operating window. So our, our main area of focus nearly every event has been rear axle and getting the rear axle to work properly and getting the rear tyres to, to work properly over the longer runs and just getting the tyres in the window here. And we've managed to have the rear axle under control. The tyres are in the window. Um, so the car's well balanced over short and long runs. So if we hadn't got that right here and we're struggling with the rear axle, be it tyre or stability, then we wouldn't be where we are. So round here, strong rear axle. With stable regulations ahead of us for 2021, how much more can you develop this car? I mean, how much more performance is there to squeeze out of it over the next 12 months? Obviously, there is one key regulation change, which is the changes to the floor and the, and the rear brake ducts to sort of reduce everybody's downforce to, um, you know, by I think 30 points is the number being pushed around in the press. So that's quite a key change, actually, because we've got to try and recover that and rebalance the car. But in all honesty, if we set that to one side, I think there's a chunk of performance still for us to find uh, in archive, you know. Um, Obviously, with the carryover parts and the fact that homologation means you're not doing everything new, 
we're going to have to certain areas of the car we can develop certain areas of the car we're going to have to evolve so yeah we feel there's um a reasonable level of development in our car the reason we think that is um so far it's developed well this year last year's car developed reasonably well we haven't seen any signs that we're running up against things we can't overcome in terms of aerodynamic development so yeah as we sit here now i think there's development i know there's development in the car but we've also got to work hard to recover what we've lost and work with the changes to the floor regulations because it does complicate things a little bit but no, i've got no concerns at the moment i mean at the first viewing when you think ah oh, this is homologated that's homologated there's limitations you just have to look harder in other areas you know you have an amount of time you have an amount of people and you just have to ideally direct them in the right way that we're going to yield a performance and not waste our time chasing something that we're never going to get so that's mm. what we're doing and the cars have looked quite well this year so no alarm bells and everyone's in a similar boat you know everyone's got their two tokens to use as they wish and and, and, and a budget cap to deal with so should be some form of leveling in there it's just how well you use your money and resources interesting that you mentioned the budget cap do you feel formula one is coming towards a team like yours and that actually you're in a really good place going forward i think in general it's a sensible thing to do um it will provide a more level playing field over a period of time to some extent so it certainly helps us in that respect but the background to this is and it's no different to if you've got a budget cap or not if you make wrong decisions in the concept of your car it's very difficult to come back from it you know there's been you know, there's been fantastically well-financed teams who've struggled because they haven't got their car concept right. And there's been less well-financed teams that have had a fantastic car out of the box because they did get their concept right and they struggled to develop it So because of financial reasons. So, yeah, I think it is a leveller, but you've still got to get the basics right, you know, because you, it's very difficult to come back from that. But, uh, yeah, I, it does go in our favour. It goes in the favour of a few other teams as well. So, But it will take time to fully manifest itself. I and mean, we're heading into the first year of it and probably going to take a year or two to sort of stabilise. Probably the first year of the new regulations is when we'll really see uh, its impact and what it's doing. And where's your head at the minute? Are, are you deep into 2021 and what you can do with effectively the current car? Or are you now thinking 2022 and leaving 2021 to a different team? Both, really. I mean, in all honesty, we've got a, we've got a small group of guys um, and um, looking at the car concept for 2022 and I'm spending a lot of time with them we've obviously voted on and passed a set of regulations earlier this week and we're now getting back into that but we're not allowed to aero test and nor do we have the latest aero services from F1 the 2022 council January the 1st so it's conceptual work at the moment the winter and are preparing to um, start work on that the 2021 car is flat out in the wind tunnel and, 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 and that's another focus that's in the design phase in the do as well um so there's some parts of the car that carry over chassis etc but there's an awful lot going on and we haven't quite finished with this year yet as we just talked about earlier really this we're still pushing for trying to get sixth in a championship and extract what we can out of this car so my mind's in sort of three areas and, it, and it's moving between the three depending on who's asking the questions what day of the week it is etc <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the one thing you haven't got to do this weekend is spend a long time in your car because as home Grand Prix go, this one doesn't get much closer, does it? No, that's right. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's about 20 minutes from the factory and uh, my apartment and, and the place where the majority of people live. So, yeah, it's quite nice. It's uh, quite a unique experience. I've not been here since 2006. And back then we were flying out. I was UK based, so flying out from the UK. But yeah, now it's fantastic. Very convenient. Very nice. And you've been at the team since 2014. Jody, just very quickly, how is life in Italy for a Brit? It's good. I mean, um, within the environment at work, uh, 
Alpha Tori, you know, within, within the factory, um, it, it's very similar to other F1 teams. Um, you know, we're all there for the same job and the people are very dedicated. Um, and, and it's a really nice environment to work in. I, I like it very much. It's a, a very enthusiastic and, and, and a small team environment, but we're trying to do uh, big things, which is great. It's fantastic. Outside of work, yeah, Italy's a great place to be. The, the weather's good, food's good. Uh, it's a nice environment to work in. In all honesty, I'm able to commute back to the UK to the wind tunnel as and when. So it all works out quite nice. It's quite convenient. And I'm basically replacing what traditionally would be a reasonably long commute in the UK with a short commute in Italy, followed by a flight home every couple of weeks. So, yeah, it works out quite well, really. It's uh, as a lifestyle choice. It's, uh, it's manageable. And how is the motor racing culture different in Italy compared to the UK or Germany where you've worked as well? Um, I mean, the, the subtle differences, really. I think the, 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 the enthusiasm is communicated uh, uh, fantastically well in Italy. People are really motivated to deliver a good result and they're passionate about what they're doing. Um, at, at the same time, the level of professionalism is, is, is the same across all the different environments but they just express it in a different way really i mean we've got 350 400 people in italy and 100 people in the uk so we've got a bit of a bit of a mix so yeah you do on occasions notice the difference between approaches but it, it all sort of works out and uh, as we're becoming better and more successful i think the the, the characteristics of you know the uk and, and the italian staff are coming together and it's working really well it's, it's enjoyable and uh, you know the, the, there's no shortage of people's passion for doing what they're doing the motivations there and that's half of the, of the battle really and when you get a fantastic result you know the guys know how to celebrate it and they really appreciate it and i appreciate that that you know you can see the effect it's having on people so it's really positive look just so final thing is is you mentioned a fantastic result just how was the atmosphere within the team immediately after pierre won at monza Oh, it was, it was incredible. You know, it was, it was incredible trackside. It was, in, it was incredible at the factories in Faenza, also in Bista. I mean, um, people were sort of over the moon. You know, we know we've got a car that can fight for points. We know that uh, Pierre was driving fantastically well and the team were doing a great job. But on that day where you get the opportunity to really make it stick and they did it and the car was quick enough to run at the front, you know, we took advantage of a safety car scenario, but then, you know, he was under pressure and he made it stick. So it's not a freak result. You know, the guy ran half the race at the front. People were over the moon, you know, they're really believing. We had a couple of podiums last year and then this comes along and we can stick the car in the top 10 and we're scoring a lot of points and uh, it, it all just comes together and it makes people believe and they're enthusiastic and it really is a motivator. I mean, it was in, it's an incredible result. You know, there's, there's no lack of confidence that we're getting better as a team and we're getting more and more competitive and we're in the midfield solidly fighting. But when you get a result like this, yeah, oh, I was euphoric, really. People are you know, fantastically motivated by it and uh, it, it, you know, it, it pushes them to achieve greater things. You know, it helps people believe that it's possible, really. And we've got a good car. A car and and that, on that day, everything came together. So it's great. Yeah. Uh, Joe, it was great for Formula One as well, wasn't it? Look, best of luck. Best of luck with all your giant killing. Good luck chasing sixth, <laughs> sixth in, the, in the Constructors' Championship. And thanks for your time. No problem at all. I've just been asked to add, actually, that evidently the comms team and the marketing team are amazing and I love them, not really. <laughs> 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 oh, God. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Please include that one, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm not actually in charge at all. <laughs> <laughs>
always thank your comms team. It is a good rule for an easier life in the F1 paddock. Some brilliant answers there from Jody Eggington. We really appreciate his time. I was really intrigued to hear the differences he felt between racing cultures in different countries. Yeah, and he has worked all over Europe. I mean, he started his Formula One career back with Tyrrell, and I think it was 1996. He then went and worked in Germany for a touring car team for a few years. And he's now been at Alpha Tauri for, for many years. So yes, he knows about racing cultures. And I think he relishes being in Italy's second team. Because you would have thought, Anyone who wants to go and work for a Formula One team in Italy would want to work for Ferrari. But I think he's, he's relishing the, the sort of underdog status of Alpha Tauri, as we all are, even just as viewers. It's wonderful to see them uh, taking the fight to the big teams. And Jody is such an inspiring guy. He's a great talker, as you heard then as well. And um, he totally gets both sides of racing he's brilliant in the design office but he also you can see that he loves the bit on the pit wall as well planning races thinking about tire wear on the hoof because that was the wonderful thing about Imola it was a two-day weekend we only had one practice session before qualifying so the teams were having to think on the hoof about how long the tires were going to last and as a result I think that's why we saw Racing Point make the decision that they made at the end of the race, yet equally we saw Renault make a different decision because there just wasn't the level of data that was needed by the teams to be 100% sure. And that's why it was a great race. Well, we've nearly reached the end of this week's F1 Nation. Tom is about to run to reception and we really do record these just before Tom has to check out. <laughs> that's true. Allowing us very little time to retake it. What's that I hear in the distance? It's the sound of Yuki Tsunoda. <laughs> that's right. My man, Yuki. Uh, as you're listening to this, folks, Yuki Tsunoda is testing uh, the Alpha Tauri at Imola. He had his seat fit a couple of weeks ago and all eyes on Imola because the lap times really are significant because there's a queue of drivers for that second seat alongside Pierre Gasly next year. Is Yuki going to get it? I hope so. Alex, what do you think? It's interesting that the lap times are important. Do you think he actually has to perform or do you think they're just getting him up to speed? I think he has to perform because... Unfortunately, I think Danny Kvyat is out even after his tremendous fourth place on Sunday. But Alex Albon, what's going to happen to him? Could he be parachuted from Red Bull Racing down to AlphaTauri? Yuki Tsunoda, wonderful Japanese driver doing... Where is he currently in the Formula 2 Championship? He is third in the standings currently. Third in the standings in Formula 2 in my opinion, ready to step up. Obviously, a Honda protege as well. But they do need to see him perform because there is a. it's not like they haven't got anyone else to put in that car if he's not good enough. So I think he needs to get up to speed quickly. The one thing I would point out about Yuki is he started the Formula 2 season on fire. He learns very, very quickly with talented engineers around him. And he will get that when he tests with AlphaTauri. Watch those lap times. If he gets that drive, we're going to have to have him on immediately. Lots of driver market stuff still in motion. We could easily have announcements about other F2 drivers joining Formula One in the next week. So as Tom goes away and tries to find a stream... 
of Yuki Sonoda testing around the Imola circuit. We thank you very much for listening to F1 Nation. You know the drill at the end of the podcast by now. If you're subscribed, we really appreciate it. If you're not, why not click that button, leave us a review, send us a question, hashtag F1 Nation. We'll do a mailbag next week. That is F1 Nation this week. We will speak to you next. Thank you.